Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, joining me now on the podcast, he is a friend of the program. He is down in Texas where I will be for the Canelo Alvarez-Liam Smith showdown. Uh, one of the biggest fights of the year, certainly the biggest fight to close out the year, the return of arguably the top pound-for-pound fighter in boxing against one of the best, if not the best, 168-pounder in the world. Keith, this is uh, how, many, how many quarantine trips is it for you? Are you getting used to it at this point? I'd say fed up is better than used to. <laughs> That's probably just my, uh, my crankiness coming out, I guess, in my old age. But... Uh, this is the sixth one since the end of September. So the sixth yeah, week-long well, trip since the end of well, September. Yeah, who's counting? Yeah. It, they don't get – you don't get used to them at all. Like, you, you just really want them to be over. Like, that vaccine can't come to the general public soon enough. Like, it just can't. So, all right, before I get into Canelo, Golovkin, a couple other topics, let's look back to this past weekend. Anthony Joshua uh, picks up a knockout win over Kubrat Pulev. Not a big surprise. I mean, Pulev, uh, six years removed from getting knocked out by Vladimir Klitschko. A lot of similarities to what Joshua did to Pulev that Klitschko did. He knocked him down a couple times early and then finished him off uh, late. Um, I I thought Joshua was like 85 to 90% of what he was before Andy Ruiz watching that fight, calling that fight. It did seem there were more than a few times that AJ sort of took his foot off the gas, uh, protected his chin a little bit more, which look, I guess is understandable when you get knocked out, things change a little bit. Uh, give me your evaluation of uh, AJ's performance. Yeah, I thought I, I thought it was an impressive performance. I really did think Chris that the fight should have been stopped in the third round. I mean, I'm not really sure what Kubrat Pulev was doing. I don't think he knows what he was doing exactly, but turning your back and holding the, the ropes and all that stuff, that's an indication of a guy who clearly is uh, disoriented and, or may not want to fight anymore, and I really thought the fight should have been stopped. The, the referee uh, did a lot of strange things in the fight, I thought. 
and not stopping it at that juncture was one of them. Uh, but you know, the one thing I would say about Joshua is that, look, like you said, when you get knocked out and, and, and your whole world and your whole career changes the way that it did for him last year, you're going to be a little more cautious at times and you're not just going to throw, throw everything to the wind and just go for broke sometimes when you have a guy hurt. And I think to some degree that might be, might have been what happened because I think he realized that Kubrat Pulev was still dangerous enough to hurt him. Uh, the fight went longer certainly than I thought it was after what happened or I thought it would after what happened in the third round. Um, but over, you know, ultimately he got him out of there. Um, you know, I've heard people say things like he's kind of caught between styles. Is he a, is he a knockout artist? Is he a boxer? I mean, I don't, I think he's showing different wrinkles to his game and this kind of, this is what he is now. So I think people, you know, people are going to criticize him no matter, and every boxer, no matter what they do. Um, but I think this is what he is now. So I think, you know, he's showing different things. I, I would give him credit for being smart and, uh, and, and taking a, a I wouldn't say a cautious approach, but a, but a, but a, a calculated approach to getting Kubrat Pulev out of there. And overall, I think you have to come away from that being impressed with Anthony Joshua. Uh, at the same time, Kubrat Pulev is 39 years old, um, was there to be knocked out, obviously, and, and, and was. Hey, amazingly, you know, six years after having what I thought was the worst strategy ever for a boxer against Vladimir Klitschko, just standing in there and getting hit. He came back out, Keith, with the exact same strategy. Like, he stood there in the middle of the ring. He's not a strategist, that's for sure. <laughs> but, like, we, we did, I can say this now, but we did fighter meetings, and I said this to his face, or to his virtual face. I'm like, Kubrat, I, I thought your strategy was awful against Vladimir. And he's like, you know, you're right. It was pretty bad. I'm not going to do that against Joshua. And that's exactly what he did. He stood there and just took punches and tried to trade. Well, yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, Chris, is thank God you weren't in front of him because who knows what he would have done when you asked him that question. The guy does a lot of weird things to people who are interviewing him, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, a, a character for sure. Uh, I think we're I think we're pretty much done with Kubrat Pulev at this point. I don't think we'll see him at the top top level anymore. I mean, he might continue fighting, but I think you know he's gotten his two world title shots and and been knocked out in both of those fights. So uh, so I think we're you know. That's the end of the road for Kubrat Pulev in that sense. But, uh, but look, he's got a lot of heart. You know, he came to fight for sure, and uh, and he kept getting up, even even though what happened in the third round was weird. You know, the guy kept trying, and he kept getting up, and he and he was there to bang with Anthony Joshua at times. And uh, a, a side note, um, you literally made me laugh out loud the other day when, when you circled back to your he's a composed, ferocious finisher. Let's <laughs> let's try this again. I was on my couch dying laughing at that. I said, all right. Oh, if, if only, if only AJ put him down with that second knockdown, I would have felt so much more validated, but you needed six more rounds to, to get the job done. Um, you know, we, we knew going in Keith that Joshua was almost certain to win this fight. It was about to me how he won it. And if winning that fight gave him some momentum or changed minds about how a fight with Tyson Fury might go. I mean, last time we saw Fury in the ring, he was knocking out Deontay Wilder, the most impressive win of Tyson's career. This win was impressive for Joshua, but did it give you any new perspective on how a Joshua Fury fight might play out? Not really, Chris, in the sense that while we're just criticizing Kubrat Pulev for his lack of ability to strategize in a fight, Tyson Fury is the exact opposite. He's going to go in there with a blueprint on how to beat Anthony Joshua, and he's going to stick to it as best he can. 
He has one of the best brains in all of boxing, particularly in the heavyweight division. So it's a completely different animal in Tyson Fury than it is in Kubrat Pulev, of course. Um, I think for, you know, for the people on the business side of it, this is what you needed to happen, right? Because now you have the momentum to go toward that fight, assuming, and, and I, I don't think any of us know the real answer here. It's probably going to uh, not impede the progress of, of uh, Joshua Fury, but what happens with, with uh, the contract or whatever Deontay Wilder thinks he has a right to do next with Tyson Fury. We have to see how that plays out in mediation, obviously to, uh, to make sure we go forward with this fight, but everyone involved seems to think that they're going to be able to do this. The only question of course, is when can you have full capacity crowds in the UK because it would be foolish to do this fight before you can do that because there's so much money you'd be leaving on the table by having it in an arena where you could have, or, or a stadium where you could have 25,000 people as opposed to 90 or, or more. Now, give me your sense though about that lawsuit, because you know, the public comments from Bob Arum and I talked to him last week as well, are that, look, we can make this Joshua deal very quickly. Um, you know, we've got the framework for the finances in place. It's a fight that can happen. But you know, when I talk to people around Fury, like privately, there are some concerns about you know this lawsuit potentially not stopping the fight, but delaying it long enough that maybe it doesn't happen next. I mean that that look. I think Aram said this publicly as well. Like a lawsuit can be frivolous, but it can tie you up for a period of time. It just happens when things get dragged out in court. I mean, how serious do you think this litigation, mediation, wherever they're they're at now with uh, with Fury and Wilder, which is supposed to be picking up this week? Uh, well, how serious do you think it is and how big an impediment do you think it will be towards finalizing Fury and Joshua? Chris, I really wish I had the, the exact wording of the contract and you could present it to a, to a legal expert to really break it down for us because without knowing that, I think it's really hard to know how strong of a case that Deontay Wilder has. What I will say is Bob Arum is, an, is a Harvard-educated attorney who has done everything in the boxing business that you could conceivably do and he's very shrewd, and I don't think that he would have moved forward in this way if he thought there was a chance that that it would, you know, that they would still have to fight Wilder instead. So I think uh, ultimately th- that they'll be able to go forward with the Joshua Fury fight. But at the same time, what you said, Chris, if it wastes too much time, will these guys, you know, want to fight other guys or have to fight other guys to fulfill mandatory obligations or whatever? I don't think that's the case for Fury, but. Um, but let's just go, you know, Fury was supposed to fight on December 5th. And then all of a sudden, everyone on his side of it realized what everyone else was saying on the other side of it. Where is the money coming from for him to fight the number 15 contender in the WBC or whomever? The money's not there, especially with crowds not being available and all that kind of stuff. You need those revenue streams. And you're not just going to pay Tyson Fury all this money to to just stay busy. You're, they're just not going to do it. So uh, so you could run into several issues there if this drags out. And, and maybe it will because... Doesn't everything in court drag out? And and Chris, ultimately, I mean, what's going on in the heavyweight division in boxing is completely irrelevant in the grand scheme of the world. And all of the courts are backed up with real issues. So if this does go to court, I mean, how, you know, how long? I don't know. I don't know the answer, but, uh, but we could be in for a long delay here. And maybe maybe it does lead to them fighting other people. The other aspect of this is the WBO belts and you know, Paco, the president of the WBO, he had this kind of, I don't know, weird tweet, I want to say, in the immediate aftermath of, of the Joshua win, basically saying, you know, ball is in Eddie's court. I mean, I tweeted back at him. I said, are you saying you will not grant that exception for a unification fight? And 
not surprisingly, he didn't respond to that. Uh, I did talk to Agus Klimas about this, the manager of Alexander Usyk, and Klimas said, look, Usyk is planning on facing Anthony Joshua in his next fight, but he left the door open like you'd expect for finances to uh, to potentially you know, seize the day. <laughs> if there's a big offer for Alexander Usyk to step aside, I think that uh, Usyk will do that. And I think you know, if this fight gets finalized between Fury and Joshua, it's going to be a big pot of money, whether it's in Saudi Arabia or in the UK. There's going to be money to pay Usyk to step aside. Do you see the WBO belt becoming an issue as far as this goes, or do you think it's a simple matter of paying Usyk off? Well, as it relates to Paco Valcarcel, the uh, president of the WBO, they've already granted multiple exceptions, so, they, so they're trying to do the right thing, at least in the court of public opinion. But ultimately, it's going to come down to money, Chris, like everything else. And, and if, you're, if you're Usyk and you're offered seven figures to step aside, maybe they give you a slot on the undercard against a guy you would be a huge favorite to beat, you know, showcase him on the undercard when they do fight, which would make perfect business sense. I could see that happening. And look, like you said, it's, it's a business you know, it's a business ultimately, and and Igus Klimas is going to do what's right for his client. And if you can get a gimme, so to speak, on the undercard and be paid seven figures in addition to your purse for that fight, why wouldn't you do it? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Let them go. F- the problem, of course, is that they're supposed to fight twice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that so that makes it murky, right? Because how long are you going to wait? Because this isn't a young. You know, he's not the oldest heavyweight in the world, but he's not the youngest either. So. He's going to want his title shot at some point. If, if these two guys fight twice and the first fight gets delayed because of the Wilder situation, well, then you're talking about Usyk maybe not getting his title shot until 2022. And then maybe he has to fight twice. And as we always say when we're on this podcast, Chris, every time you get in there with a heavyweight who can punch, you're taking a risk. And if you keep doing that, you're going to get clipped at some point and, the, and you're not going to get the title shot. Yeah, and... You know, my view of it is that there's got to be transparency with Usyk. And when I say that, I mean, you probably have to tell him, look, you're probably never going to get a shot at Joshua or Fury for that WBO title. But if you step aside to allow the undisputed championship fight to take place, we'll pay you a lot of money. And then the winner will either fight you, which is unlikely, or vacate, and you can do the exact same thing. So you can get a big payday to fight a lesser opponent, and then you can fight for a vacant belt down the line. I'm not sure how he'd take that, but I I don't see a scenario that ends in the next year with Usyk fighting either Joshua or Fury for that title because of that two-fight deal. And look, if Usyk... You know, look, I, I think if you're Joshua and Fury... You want to fight for the undisputed championship once. It matters a little bit less the second time if you're doing a rematch. I think you'd be willing to to vacate one belt to face each other again in a rematch. And then if you're Usyk, if you beat a Joseph Parker or a Joe Joyce or whoever the WBO mandates for that title, then as a title holder in 2022, you could get that unification shot against the winner, whoever comes out of that uh, that two-fight uh, deal. That, that to me seems like the the most logical outcome to all this, the most, and logic never really reigns supreme in boxing, but that seems like the, the way this should go at least. Yeah. And, and I look, I understand why it's important for them to say I'm the undisputed heavyweight champion, but anyone with any brains is going to say, this is the, the winner of the Joshua Fury fight is the undisputed heavyweight champion. 
you can look, you can say, okay, well, he didn't have the WBO belt, but is that going to make him any less the, the real champion than he was? I mean, like, like when Tyson Fury was an ESPN to a, to a greater degree was running around calling him the lineal champion because he didn't have one of the real titles. I mean, no one, no one was really buying that. All it did was annoy people. I think for the most part, um, well, certainly annoyed, annoyed me, but, but right. Yeah. So, um, so you can't fool the boxing fans are, you know, for the most part are, are sensible people uh, as it relates to boxing and, and they know what they're watching and they know what they know when someone's trying to sell them bullshit or whatever. So they, mm-hmm. look, the winner of that fight is if they fight next is going to be the undisputed heavyweight champion, whether the belts, all of the belts are involved or not, because then you have like, you know, Joshua has the IBO belt and there are people who will tell you that the IBO belt doesn't mean as much as the WBO or the IBF or any of the rest of them. So, and then you're, and then you get into the sanctioning fees, Chris, where you're paying these absurd amounts of money for these sanctioning fees. In some cases, three, even in a unification fight, usually the fighters can negotiate, as you well know, Chris, the fighters can negotiate it down from the standard 3% of their purse uh, to a lesser amount, you know, one and a half percent, 1%, something like that. But there have been times when guys have fought for, uh, the undisputed championship for all four titles and paid 12% of their purse to, to fight for those. That, that's crazy. 12% and then paying the, the, the astronomical amount of taxes that they're paying. I mean, for what at a certain point, right? So I, you know, so I could see them walking away from one of the belts if this becomes a stickier issue. Oh man. I mean, 12%, give me a break. I'd tell each one of those sanctioning bodies, I'll give you each, you know, like a hundred grand. And if you want to be part of this, you can, if not, we don't need you and you don't you don't need you know that chris they do do that in some cases i mean but yeah canelo does canelo certainly does right because there's so much money involved in this one maybe some of the maybe one or more of the sanctioning organizations would not accept that i I, who knows i mean just you know they're calling the bluff of the fighter i guess do you really want this title do you want it to be for the undisputed i could see that you know game of chicken happening too i mean it's just there shouldn't be four of them to begin with or five or whatever. I mean, there shouldn't be that many. You know, there should be you remember, you remember, you remember when they tried to call Miguel Cotto's bluff before he fought Canelo? Cotto's like, man, I'm good. You can keep your belt, WBC. I'm, I'm fine. Mm. <laughs> I don't need your belt. I got a big paycheck coming my way for this fight one way or the other. So what do I need your belt for? People know who I am. And, and, and can send one of his kids to college for four years probably okay. for the amount yeah. of money he would have paid for. You know, it doesn't make any sense, you know? Highway robbery. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, the two fights this week. And we'll start on Friday with Gennady Golovkin, the recently recrowned middleweight champion. He's going to defend his belt against Camille Zarameta. Um, I mean, how Zarameta became the IBF mandatory is just bonkers to me. Like, Zarameta has no resume to speak of, uh, lacks any kind of power, you know, has mostly fought out of Poland for most of his career. It, it, the IBF does this, though, sometimes, Keith. I mean, every every sanctioning body's got some weird quirks to it. I always feel like the IBF might be as bad as any of them with who they rank at the top of their list. But I go into this fight thinking this is, you know, I, if I was an odds maker, I'd take the odds off the, off the table. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put odds on this fight because I think Golovkin's going to need to, you know, blow out a knee in order to lose this fight, and he should look spectacular in this fight. What do you think? Yeah, that, that's certainly what's set up to happen here Friday, Chris. And, I, and I'll say this as it relates to the IBF. Like, you know, since the FBI scandal from way back when, you know, they've been a stickler for abiding by their rules. And to, for the most part, they really have done that. They stripped, you know, they, they stripped Gennady Golovkin, then they stripped Canelo of the same title in, in a very short span of time. So they have stuck to their rules. But as it relates to Zermeta, 
he's not even the number one contender. He's the number three contender, and he's beaten absolutely no one. And I know that this agreement was in place before Golovkin fought, fought Derevianchenko that night and, and Zaremeta fought on the undercard. And then he became, you know, then the fight was supposed to be set up thereafter because Canelo had not agreed to fight Golovkin. And all, that's all fine. And I'm not blaming Golovkin for going along with this so he can keep his IBF title that it really bothered him that he lost the last time. So I'm not blaming him, so to speak. But but Camille Zarameta, like, like, like no offense. I mean, sure, he's a perfectly nice guy, but he's beaten no one. He's 21-0 with five knockouts, so no real threat to a guy with an iron chin. Um, even if he outboxes him, is he going to, is he going to get the decision? I mean, I mean, come on. It's just not, there's just no point to this fight happening. Obviously they negotiated down with Golovkin and, and he's now being paid a lot less than he thought he was going to be paid for this fight. Um, now you can fault the zone for that if you want. Uh, you know, I understand, you know, they, they made an agreement and he was supposed to make X and Camille Zarameta was supposed to make Y and now they're not making that necessarily, but um, so I understand the frustration from Golovkin's standpoint of not getting what you're supposed to be paid. But that's the way of the the zone world at this point. Canelo Alvarez isn't being paid what he what he thought he was going to be paid either. So I mean, why would he expect that he would? You know, so um, the fight, the, it's a pointless fight, is, is is the bottom line. There's no other than him keeping the IBF title, which I realize is important to him. It's a pointless fight for boxing fans who frankly, could not care less if this fight were happening or not. Oh, I agree. Um, it's only newsworthy if Golovkin doesn't come out and look spectacular. I mean, he should, if he is anything close to the fighter he's been for most of the last decade, stop Zarameta inside five rounds. I mean, he just should. It should be, it's a Steve Rolls type of opponent, except he's probably even less of a threat than Steve Rolls because he doesn't have any kind of power, just five knockouts uh, on his resume. But, you know, on paper, you know, Golovkin's only got the one loss. He, it was a razor-close decision uh, to Canelo. The draw, many of us agree, probably won that fight against Canelo. That being said, the last two years, the shine has come off him. There's no question about it. I mean, the Rolls fight, he won by knockout, but he was hit in that second round. And you had some questions about him fighting a guy that he should have just used uh, as almost target practice. Then comes Derevchenko, and I don't want to take anything away from Derevchenko. I know Golovkin has said he was sick on that night, but that's a guy that I think three or four years ago Golovkin would have handled pretty easily. Uh, what, what's your view of where Golovkin is now? I mean, how, I mean, how diminished is he as a fighter? Chris, I think we'll have a much better idea of how to look at Golovkin after Friday night because he hasn't fought in a long time, and, and I don't think anyone can accurately answer maybe other than Jonathan Banks, who's had an up-close view of him sparring, what did the Revianchenko fight took out of him? That was a savage fight. You, you were, you know, five feet away from the ring. You know how vicious of a fight that was. They went back and forth. In my opinion, the fight of the year last year was a great action fight. Could have probably gone either way. Um, so he's had a very long time to recover because of the pandemic and everything. So I, I expect him to be as fresh as a 39 year old guy who's been through that sort of war could be, but we don't know what's left of Gennady Golovkin after that fight. Now you could argue also that a, you know, a guy with five knockouts is not really going to give us the greatest answer to that question, but that's who he's fighting on Friday. So that's what we're left with. But if he tears through Zarameta, as you said, Chris, maybe stops him within four or five rounds, you know, you'd have to feel much better about Golovkin in 2021 
than than you do now, right? I mean, and you know, if they are going to try to make this Canelo fight again or make him fight people that he does not want to fight, and if I'm DAZN, I don't really care who you want to fight at this point. You're going to fight who we tell you to fight for these these sums of money, right? Like he, it's my understanding he does not want to fight Demetrius Andrade. Well, I would tell them, I would tell them, well, you're fighting Demetrius Andrade, or you're not fighting. Mm-hmm. Right, because who's Demetrius Andrade? No one wants to fight Demetrius Andrade for whatever reason. So, uh, and they're both on the zone, and they're both in a situation where they could fight each other. So, why not that fight? You know, if not, can of course, if not Canelo. Yeah, uh, what's interesting to me about Golovkin, in addition to him being potentially diminished, and look, it's not if he's diminished, it just happens. You know, he's 38 years old, and Father Time catches up to you, and he's been in some tough fights in his career. It's not like he's Bernard Hopkins, where he's incredibly preserved uh his his style has lent itself to some action and you know that can slow you down at at this point of your career I I am fascinated to see kind of the heel turn that Golovkin's taking these days I mean he's gone largely radio silent over the last year or so done a couple of interviews uh he's been prickly with some of the press myself included on that list uh what do you make I saw he had a conference call this week where he's talking about you know potentially you know, taking a life in the ring. He's doing like a Deontay Wilder kind of thing. Like, what, what is, what do you make of that side of him? I mean, he went from being kind of this, like, you know, the good boy, the the guy that everybody was kind of rooting for. The uh, It really is kind of almost wrestling-like, where you have Golovkin as, you know, kind of one character, and then you sort of see him slowly morphing into another one. I think a lot of it, Chris, has to do with his frustration of, of, he doesn't want to accept that he's the B side in this equation with Canelo Alvarez. And a lot of it has to do with what he feels is his, is him being mistreated. You know, he, he should have won the first fight. He won, he won the first fight, right? Officially he did not, but he, but he won the first fight. I, I thought that Canelo edged him out in the second fight. There should have been a third fight. So he feels like he's a second class citizen to some extent, but I'd sign up for being a second-class citizen if I was going to make that kind of money. I mean, it's not like he hasn't been well compensated. You know, maybe toward the end of his HBO deal, he was not valued the way that he should have been, but he's certainly been valued by DAZN. I understand it because he feels like Canelo, to some extent I understand it, because he feels like Canelo failed that drug test, um, has kind of plowed past that, and is and is still revered as arguably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Um that's that's a large part of I think what his frustration is and the way that he's been behaving and everything. But look, you can't you can't take the kind of money that he's taking for these fights. And then when you're asked to promote the fight by doing a conference call or an interview with a reporter or whatever, and I don't take generally don't take these things personally, Chris. If a guy doesn't want to talk to me, if he, and I know you don't either, but you know we're, we've been in this situation before. A guy for whatever reason thinks you wrote something negative about him or you treated him unfairly or whatever. I don't take it personally at all. We don't, we, I barely know Gennady, you know, I know Gennady Golovkin, the boxer and the interactions I've had with him in, in, in public spaces and everything. I, I don't know him really. So I, I don't take, I don't care. Really, you know? So if he wants to behave, what I would say is childishly to some degree, that's on him. I mean, he, you know, he gets an opportunity to speak to his fan base and everything by doing that. And if he doesn't want to, um, that's his prerogative, but, but he's also, I think short-sighted in the sense that he, when he did this conference call the other day, he, he made it clear that he would not answer any questions about Canelo Alvarez. Well, that's the fight that everyone wants to see. And that's the person people want to see you in the ring with. And I'm not saying it's his fault that it hasn't happened yet. It's not, but you know, primarily it's Canelo on Canelo, but 
I mean, to, to go into a situation like that where you only have to take a half an hour out of your time or whatever, and he's not, you know, let's be honest, he, he's not a good interview either. I mean, he's not, you know, he doesn't really say a whole lot. He doesn't get, you know, some of it is the language barrier and everything. I mean, he came across as charming for the most part for, he had this, you know, I don't know what kind of charm you would call it, but like the good boy thing and all that. So fine, fine. Whether, whether it's who he really is or not, I don't know. I mean, who knows really? He's a killer in the ring. And, and that's what people love about him. But but as it relates to him just not wanting to talk about Canelo and refusing to do an interview with you when you work for the zone. And I mean, it's all just a little ridiculous when you're being paid the amount of money that you're being paid. But um, that's how he's how he's chosen to go about it. Um, if he produces in the ring on Friday night, you know, I don't say I don't think it'll all be forgotten, but it'll be overlooked because ultimately that's what matters the most. Do you deliver in the ring? And for the most part in his career, and Addy Golovkin has delivered in the ring. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, set all the other stuff aside. What matters is how he fights. And if he fights the way, even going on 39 years old, that he has looked, you know, during the Derevianchenko fight, but before the Derevianchenko fight, I think, you know, people will want to see him fight multiple times in 2021. And whether he speaks to us, uh, to you, to me, to any of us, and chooses not to answer whichever questions, uh, you know, boxing fans ultimately aren't going to care all that much. No. And I've learned this in the NBA as well, you know, when Kyrie Irving was doing his thing in Brooklyn, not talking to the media. Like, it, fans don't care how the media does its job. But if you're Gennady Golovkin, like, a nickel's worth of free advice. Like, you want respect and you want the attention you deserve going about it the wrong way. Like, you should be seeking out big interviews. You should be you, you talking about what's been going on in your life over the last year. Remind people that you still exist as a top pound-for-pound fighter. I mean, out of sight really is out of mind for the most part when it comes to the vast majority of boxers. And that's what Gennady's been for the better part of the last year. I think both you and I can agree, it's crazy that this fight is in South Florida. Crazy. It should be in Texas, in San Antonio, the day before. I know there's an ego, you know, an, an ego issue with all this, fighting the day before Canelo and fighting in the same city as Canelo. But if you want attention for what you're probably going to do to Camille Zarameta, do it in front of all the media. Do it in front of all the eyeballs. There's a reason, and I don't want to put Gennady on this level, but there's a reason that when you know a, a big fight happens in Las Vegas, a promoter will always put a good fight on Friday at a different venue in the same city. Like It just happens all the time because you want to take advantage of all the media. I don't know who's going to the fight uh, down in uh, South Florida. I assume... Your pal, Jake Donovan, will be there because he's in that neighborhood. But beyond that, I don't know who's going to be there. So, you know, I don't know what the upside is. Like, is it, is it really worth your pride to not go to Texas, fight on the day before, and then, hell, show up. <laughs> show up at ringside. You've done it before. I know it was a long time ago, but one of the great, like, outside-the-ring moments was after Canelo knocked out Amir Khan and Canelo kind of stood on the ring rope right there and kind of waved him in WWE style. Like, I love that. Like, it, ultimately, he didn't fight for another couple of years, but I kind of love that. And pe- and that gives you good optics. It makes people talk about that fight once again. I mean, you're right. Ultimately, what he does in the ring is all that matters. If he stomps Camille Zarameta, people will be talking about it. But there's, like, these missed opportunities here, whether it's talking to the media or being in the same city where the media is and all the attention is, on your fight night. These missed opportunities could have enhanced what he's probably going to do on Friday. 
No, I think you're right. Um, you know, from we're in such a weird time here. You know, you know, I don't know how many they could sell tickets here. Of course, in Texas, which is why we've had to come here so many times in a in a short amount of time here. But um, you know, you don't know how many tickets they would have been able to sell to back to back events on the. You know, if, but you would put it in a smaller venue. Of course, you're not going to put it in. I don't think you would have put it in Alamo Dome the night before and then have another event there. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, it just it's it's just all short sighted on the behalf of Gennady Golovkin. Now, as a guy who who grew up in Kazakhstan, supposed to, and and punches people in the face for a living, supposed to understand that, not necessarily, but the people around him should should make him understand it. But ultimately, he's the boss, so you know, maybe maybe they have tried to persuade him to do things the way that that you mentioned, and he's just been resistant to it because a lot of it does relate to ego, Chris, as you said. I mean, these guys look. You know, these guys in the, are the best, the absolute best in the world at what they do. And along with being able to do something that most people on earth cannot even consider doing at that level, they have enormous egos. And, you know, Canelo is, <laughs> let's not make it sound like Canelo doesn't have some, some an ego bigger than Alamo Dome. I mean, he does. And, mm-hmm. and he's not, you know, he can be difficult. I don't want to say difficult from our standpoint to, to deal with, but he can, you know, the people around him who, who want him to do certain things. He can be difficult and he knows that he's the, the biggest star in boxing and people are going to do what he says because they want to be in business with him. So, you know, I, to, to a lesser extent, that's what Golovkin's doing. I mean, to a lot lesser extent, frankly, but, but that's what he's doing. He's, you know, flexing his uh, promotional muscle, so to speak. And, uh, you know, but again, I just think, like you said, he's missing many, many opportunities to convey what, whatever his message is, because I, I don't know what it is. If, if, if he's got one, I don't know what it is. So, and we cover the sport for a living on a daily basis, and we don't know what his message is. So if he's trying to convey it to the public, he's failed. Yeah, no question about that. All right, let's talk about the fight on Saturday that will both be ringside for Canelo Alvarez against Callum Smith. I want to talk, Keith, about how live an underdog Callum Smith is here. Because when this fight was announced at about five weeks out, it took me a little off off guard. I mean, Callum Smith was one of the guys that was mentioned as a possible candidate. But I look at Callum Smith as the number 168-pounder in the world. I don't think there's a massive gap between him and some of the other guys, whether it's Billy Joe Saunders, Caleb Plant, or even David Benavidez if he stays in that mix. But I think, you know, as far as accomplished goes, Callum Smith has done it. He won the World Boxing Super Series. Uh, he knocked out Hassan Nadam. The reason people kind of downplay Callum Smith is all because of that lackluster performance against John Ryder. That's sort of being pointed to as the biggest reason Callum Smith can't win. How do you view this fight? I mean, how live an underdog do you see Callum Smith being against Canelo? I see him as a pretty live underdog, Chris. And I, and I would, in some ways, I wouldn't say throw out the performance against John Ryder, but I think John Ryder is better than people realize. You know, he's, he's not any, a tricky guy. I agree. You know, and, and is pr- better than his record probably. And, uh, and maybe, you know, like a lot of fighters do, fighting up and down to the levels of, or what they perceive to be the levels of competition, Callum Smith maybe was not up for that fight. Now that's on him, of course, that's his fault. But, um, but I, I wouldn't say that he doesn't have a chance in this fight because of the way he fought John Ryder. And a lot of people thought John Ryder deserved to win that fight. Uh, but Callum Smith is a, such a big guy, Chris. I mean, he's six three. He's a full seven inches taller than Canelo. And this is not the last time he fought a six three guy. It was Rocky Fielding, except that's the guy that Callum Smith knocked out in the first round. So this is a very different deal. That's that. He's getting into here on Saturday. Now, I'll say this. One thing that I thought Billy Joe Saunders made an interesting point about before his fight against Martin Murray is he said, you know, 
I wish Callum well, and he, he's a countryman, and I hope for, for the Brits' sake that he wins the fight and all that. He said, but I don't know that five weeks is a really enough time to prepare to fight someone as good as Canelo Alvarez, arguably the best fighter in the world. Um, now, obviously, Callum Smith was doing some sort of training, being told that this is a possibility at least, so get your butt in the gym and, and stay ready. But there is something to be said, I think, for him really only having like a five-week training camp and wasn't even really five weeks because – he had to travel halfway across the world to get here and then has all these media obligations and everything. So it's not even really a five week deal might be closer to four. Um, so is that enough time? I don't know. I don't know what kind of shape he was in, what kind of sparring he was doing two months ago, three months ago. Now, you know, maybe he was, and, and, and it's not going to matter, but that could be a factor because I know one thing Canelo Alvarez has been training, which is why he was so adamant about fighting on December 19th when you know, this fight could have happened in January just as easily and probably would have made more sense. Yeah, he was targeting December 19th throughout. He, this was his date. So he was eyeballing that date from start to finish. And you're right. You know, the one question I'd want to know from Callum is, you know, when did your training camp sort of start? Because, you know, what was Eddie Hearn telling you two weeks before, three weeks before? I mean, was it a six or seven week training camp that officially sounded kind of looked like a five week training camp? Those are kind of questions I would have. I'd also like to know, uh, you know, what weight is he right now? Like, as we sit here midweek, you know, how big a weight cut? I mean, Callum Smith is a massive 168 pounder. When I stand next to him, I wonder how the hell he makes that weight. Like, he is a big, big dude. And if he's having to starve himself and dehydrate himself just to get down to that weight limit, that's going to be a problem against Canelo on Saturday night. Now, if none of those things are an issue... He's a really live underdog in this fight. I don't get this perception that I've seemed to find on social media and even among some boxing people that Canelo is going to knock him out like inside five or six rounds. That Canelo is too strong and too good and Callum is a little bit overrated largely because of the Ryder loss. I mean, Ryder didn't look good, but he looked great against George Groves. He looked great against Hassan Dadan. You go back even further, he had some really impressive performances in that World Boxing Super Series. This is a guy that is technical, he's got a great jab, he's got real power, and he's going to tower over Canelo in ways that no fighter has. I mean, he's technically the same height as Rocky Fielding, but he's going to be, he's a different animal than Rocky Fielding. He's stronger than Sergey Kovalev, who was not the same guy we saw in the prime years of his career. I mean, this, you know, I, I think to, to spin it to the next question, like, I wonder if, you know, Canelo against Kovalev, Kovalev threw that jab out there, but it was so inconsequential. Like, it, was, it wasn't doing anything. It barely got through, and when it did, it didn't land very hard. Nobody since Golovkin has been able to land big shots on Canelo. And even Golovkin couldn't back Canelo up. Can Callum Smith do that? That's my question coming into this. Does Callum Smith, with just you know those left-right combinations, have enough to prevent Canelo from just working his way on the inside. Because that you know that's going to be the strategy. He's going to try to get to the body and work that long torso. But can Callum Smith throw enough power shots to make Canelo think twice before he just walks on the inside? Well, you know, Canelo has such a great chin, Chris. And, and that's, that's the fight in a nutshell, as you said. I mean, is, can Callum Smith keep him from getting inside and being effective inside against him? Because that's what Canelo is going to want to do. And, uh, and he's going to be determined to do that from the beginning of the fight. Um, so that's it. I mean, you know, if Callum Smith can keep him at a distance and, and get some extension on some of those right hands, you know, we'll see what he can do. But, but Canelo has amazingly has, has just keeps going up in weight. And I, look, I understand that Kovalev was not the crusher Kovalev that, uh, that 
rose through the ranks a few years ago before he had been knocked out uh, by Andre Ward, but um, and Elida Alvarez, uh, but almost Anthony Yard. You got it. It's a long list, um, but 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 that fight was very competitive. You know, I mean, people. You know, he he viciously knocked Kovalev out. He knocked him unconscious, basically. But that was a close fight before that happened. That was not a. He was not winning by wide margins on the scorecard. It was a very close fight. So if Callum Smith can do some of some similar things to what Kovalev did and have some real pop on his punches to make, to make uh, Canelo think twice about coming inside. I mean, you could have a very different fight. So, um, but, but to the short answer to your original question, Chris is he's a very live underdog. I mean, he, he's, he's probably, like you said, other than Canelo, the best 168 pound fighter in the world. So, I mean, if, if that's not a live underdog, I don't know who would be. No, I'm with you. Let me finish with this. If Golovkin does what he's supposed to do, and if Canelo does what he's supposed to do, is Canelo against Golovkin still the biggest fight that can be made for Canelo Alvarez? We know he's a free agent. He can do whatever he wants. He's going to have offers from everybody when this fight is over. But is Canelo Triple G still the biggest fight that can be made? Probably. Uh, is it the, is it the smartest thing that he can do? I don't know about that because it would depend on how much money DAZN was willing to pay at this point for both of these guys to satisfy them and have this third fight happen. Uh, it's still I still think there is enough interest, even though there's a lot of fatigue from boxing fans about all of the things from all of the things that have happened between them over the years, and a lot of people see Triple G as being, you know, well past his prime, going on 39 years old, and they think the third fight uh, would be a once as one-sided as it could be against a fighter who's still as, as powerful and has as good a chin as Golovkin could be in the third fight. Um, so if he were to go to PBC, for example, and the blueprint for him to fight on PBC would be to probably fight Caleb Plant first. Caleb Plant's a very good boxer and everything, but of course you would favor Canelo to beat him, right? If he beats him, you know, they would try to match him against David Benavidez in what would be a very big fight among Mexican fans. And, you know, and that's, a, that's a good fight, not an easy fight. Benavidez is a very big kid, uh, can punch. Um, you'd have to favor Canelo because, again, arguably the best fighter in the world. But the but the three steps that you would look at if he went to PBC would be Caleb Plant, David Benavidez. If he wins both of those fights, neither of which would be easy per se, then would he fight Jamal Charlo at 168 pounds? Because that's a, that's a pretty good-looking blueprint if that's what you're looking to do in your Canelo, and you can squeeze as much money out of this as you – because if you fight Golovkin the third time, um, yes, you'll make a lot of money for that fight, but then, then what, you know, and then maybe some of those opportunities on the PBC side don't exist because maybe plant and Benavides fight each other because they don't think you're coming to the PBC side. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does. He gets by Callum Smith on Saturday, what he does after that. If you're Golovkin, well, why wouldn't you fight him? That's how you're going to yeah. make the most money. And that's, you want the revenge. That's how you're going to make the most money. You don't want to fight Andrade because of he's a Southpaw and the style and all that. And who else is over there left for you to fight? So I think he would gladly do it. Uh, but Canelo's going to have some options and will be in the driver's seat as usual. Yeah, I mean, for Golovkin, we say this all the time. Like, it's we, we've reached the expiration point. He's going to be 39 years old in May or in April. And, you know, it, it's now or never at this point for Canelo Golovkin. I, I would say this, though. I, I like Plant, Benavidez, and Charlo as a three-fight combination for Canelo. Is it better than Golovkin, Saunders, and Munguia for Canelo, assuming that Canelo could 
find a way to coexist for one fight against a Golden Boy fighter? I mean, is that, you know, when you compare those three potential fights, because that's what I would think, you know, Eddie doesn't, Eddie Hearn doesn't control Munguia, but he certainly has control over Saunders and influence over Golovkin. He's definitely going to offer those two up, you know, for 2021 as potential opponents. And then Munguia down the line could be a massive Mexican showdown because while Munguia lacks, you know, certain polish as a boxer, his popularity kind of speaks for itself. He's becoming a pretty popular guy amongst Mexican boxing fans. Which of those three kind of fights would you favor? Well, you mean if he were to do all three? Like if it... Yeah, I mean, if you were going to kind of pick, like, if you and he doesn't have to. Look, he can cherry pick and do different things. Like, he can say, you know, and people will come for Canelo. Like, he can always do whatever he wants. But I, I'm almost more intrigued by, at, at least in the immediate future, uh, Golovkin, Saunders, less so Munguia, but Golovkin, Saunders, both in their prime guys who make sense, who you can make a lot of money off of, versus Plant and Benavidez, the latter of which I have no idea what weight class is going to fight at. I mean, is he going to come back to 168 and be there? Is he going to be 175? Uh, there are certainly question marks with Benavidez right now as well. Yeah, <laughs> about making weight and everything, of course. Um, yeah. I, I, look, if I were him, it, it depends on the money, as always, Chris. But if I were him, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't fight Saunders because I don't think any good can come of that in the sense that he has uh, struggled against southpaws at times. Billy Joe Saunders would get up for that fight like he's got, like he hasn't gotten up for any other fight. And look what he did. And I'm not saying that David Lemieux is in any way comparable to Canelo. He's not. But look what Billy Joe Saunders did when he was in there with a guy who he knew was a dangerous puncher in his hometown, in effect. And look how he performed in that fight. He will, Billy Joe Saunders, for all of his inconsistency, will come to fight that night and could make things very difficult on Canelo. And if you could make the same amount of money to fight a guy who's going to, or more on the PBC side of it, um, who's going to stand in front of you and make matters easier on you, I would do that. Or, of course, in the case of Munguia, as you said, it would be a huge. Mexican showdown. Munguia has become very popular in Mexico. And let's not forget, for our purposes, he would be going against a golden boy fighter. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> think about all of the elements there. You know, suddenly Oscar's, you know, preparing or helping uh, promote another fighter to beat Canelo. I mean, he's got the blueprint. Coming. He's got Oof. the blueprint, baby. So, so many dramatic, <laughs> <laughs> so many dramatic <laughs> elements there, you know. Yeah, and the one factor in all this that's still the unknown is, you know, the money. Like, you know, DAZN's in a position where they might be willing to offer more in a guarantee because they're not predicated on pay-per-view because they are more interested in global rights than anything else. Whereas we'll see what the pay-per-view market looks like in the next couple of months. It doesn't look great right now unless your name is Mike Tyson. Um, so, I, I mean, if you know, I, I don't know what as big a star as Canelo is, I don't know what a Caleb Plant pay-per-view would do. I don't know what a David Benavidez pay-per-view would do, at least in 2021, while both these guys are still you know, known to the boxing community, but not well-known outside of it. So that's probably going to be the big question there too. Right. And well, we'll find out also, Chris, as, as it relates to the Callum Smith fight, I know it's available on DAZN, but they're now offering yeah. it on pay-per-view also. So, which was something that they've been toying with for the better part of the last year. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're doing it. So it's 70 bucks and you can get four months of the zone along with the Canelo. Well, I wouldn't mention the undercard if I were trying to sell it, of course, but uh, Wait. Well, you're not, you're not uh, getting there early for Ray Ford uh, in his second fight in three months. Jersey. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, they'll try to do some pay-per-view business with the Callum Smith fight, but you're right. The, the mark, the pay-per-view market now is such that, you know, there's so much piracy and you're doing so many of them 
in such a short span of time, people are not going to keep paying $75 every month, every other month for fights. They're just not going to do it. No, not unless it's a mega fight or involving Mike Tyson, where people seem willing to pony up 50 bucks. I just like to admit that I was wrong about that. I was too. One that it actually happened. So, so I owe Lance, our boy Lance Pugmire, who I bet yep. on your yep. on your show here. I owe him dinner. Um, I believe you do too. So, yep. So, so he was right about that. Look, I never said that people wouldn't buy it. I just didn't understand why people would buy it. But what I did think is that it wouldn't come off because the money ultimately wouldn't be there. But I was wrong about that, and I wholeheartedly admit that. And I don't begrudge anyone who bought it and enjoyed watching, you know, Jake Paul knock the snot out of poor Nate Robinson and whatever else they got out of it. But uh, look, to each their own, I guess. But but this is now a sign of what's to come because we're going to see Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul, and we're going to see a lot of other comparably ridiculous things. And um, But if people are willing to pay for it, they're going to do it. Do you think if you're a boxer right now, a top-level boxer who is fighting on pay-per-view, and you can't draw a fraction of a 50-plus-year-old Mike Tyson and whatever Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul ultimately attracts. I mean, does that does that resonate with you at all? Like, do you think, like, I mean, there's a 50-something-year-old guy that is putting on the biggest pay-per-view of the year, and it's not even close. Like, Tyson fighting Roy Jones did almost double what uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder did when it's all counted. Now, I know the numbers are a little bit different in terms of cost, but... That, that speaks volumes to me. It really does, Chris. And it, look, there's only one Mike Tyson. We all know that. And as it relates to Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul, you know, Floyd Mayweather is not that far removed from his fighting career, whereas Tyson was 15 years removed from quitting against Kevin McBride, getting knocked out by mm-hmm. Danny Williams. That's why I just didn't I didn't quite understand it. Still don't really. Um, but people are always going to be fascinated with Mike Tyson. He's reinvented himself. So uh, but if I were to answer your question, though, if I were Errol Spence, you know, Errol Spence going into the Danny Garcia fight, he had every reason to draw people to the screens. And, the you know, look, the fight went the way that we thought it probably would have gone before the accident. But you can't discount the accident. That's the whole re- – that was the intrigue about the fight. Is he going to be the same? There were only two people probably that knew that he was going to be the same definitively, himself and his trainer, Derek James. But they had to convince everyone else of that. And I was sort of surprised that it didn't do more business that it did than it did because of that, you know, because Danny Garcia, while he has lost at the top level a few times now or three times, um, still a, you know, dangerous puncher. And it wasn't like he was fighting Ivan Redcash or something like that. I mean, he was fighting a real guy and, uh, and I was surprised that it didn't do more buys. And, and if you're him, like, you're probably wondering, like, you know, I'm a pretty likable guy. I fight in a, an entertaining way for the most part. I'm like punch, you know, I, you know, I had this, unfortunate thing happened that was all my fault for acting irresponsibly and everything. But here I am coming back from that people thinking that I might not ever fight again. And here I, you know, and we're trying to sell the story through Fox and everything and didn't quite resonate as much as, as you would have hoped. So, well, I I don't keep, I, I don't think, I don't think it's a, I don't think the problem is focused on one fighter. I I think it's a rising tides issue, right? Yeah. It's, it's these guys, you know, people, you're not going to get people who don't pay any attention to boxing for 11 months interested in one fight. You've got to have, and we talk about this all the time, but it's still true. You've got to have fight after fight after fight, big fights, have it, you know, have national outlets discussing it on a regular basis, national radio shows, television shows, talking about boxing on a regular basis in the same way 
they talk about UFC. I mean, I saw, you know, Dana White told Kevin Ioli they average more pay-per-views in 2020 than ever before. And that's largely because people are interested in like all their fights. Like they, they, they see something in all these fights and they don't see that in boxing. And that, that is on every fighter that, that in order to get boxing back into the mainstream, there's got to be more than just three really good fights a year that you point to and say, buy that fight. You got to buy that fight. It doesn't work that way. It never has and it never will. Right. And Chris, the, the opportunity that I think they miss with Fox is that they don't put any of the good fights on Fox. Like you yeah, have to yeah. do that every once in a while, even though it will cost you some money in the short term because of the purses that the fighters will demand. You have to put a fight like when CBS put or Showtime CBS, they put Danny Garcia and Keith Thurman on CBS and, and it peaked at over 5 million viewers. Yeah, Boxing yeah. can do that when you put the right fights on those types of platforms. And I, and I wrote when Errol Spence, because we we're just talking about Errol Spence and Danny Garcia, when Errol Spence fought Mikey Garcia, I wrote at the time that it was an opportunity lost by Fox to put that fight because look, boxing fans knew that Mikey Garcia, unfortunately was in over his head in that fight, Mm -hmm. but they're two name fighters that people would have tuned in to watch if it were on free on Fox, as opposed to spending 75 bucks on it. And it did, it did pretty decent business on pay-per-view, you know, but think about how many people would have tuned into Fox to watch that fight. You would have gotten 5 million viewers, which is, way more people than they've gotten for any of the broadcasts that they've done over the last two years. That's a huge missed opportunity. I mean, if you keep putting fights like Luis Ortiz and whoever it was that quit in the, in the fight a couple of weeks, you know, last month or whatever, if you keep putting those types of fights on Fox, people are not going to watch. But if you put a really good fight on Fox, one out of every three, like, you know, like a really, really high level fight, that's how, to your point, you'll get people more interested in the sport. And then when they, the top, top guys fight each other and you're trying to charge 75 bucks, they might be more apt to buy it. Yeah, look, the blueprint is there. Teofimo Lopez fought Vasily Lomachenko and it was talked about for weeks and it did a great number on ESPN. It, it can work if you do it and operate in a balanced manner. Uh, Keith, I'll see you down in Texas. Uh, enjoy your quarantine meals until then. And uh, thanks for joining me. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. 
Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. All right, Eddie Hearn is here. And probably as big a week as Eddie's had in a long time. He's coming off a win for Anthony Joshua, which I'm sure he breathed a sigh of relief on, both that Joshua won and how he won. And now a monster weekend for Matchroom Boxing USA. Gennady Golovkin in action on Friday against Camille Zarameta in Florida. That's where we find Eddie right now. On Saturday, he'll be flying to Dallas for, uh, or San Antonio, I should say for Canelo Alvarez's fight against Liam Smith. Eddie, you're you're back in the States, at least. So welcome back to uh, to the U.S. Callum Smith. Callum Smith. What did I say? Liam. Liam Smith. Well, that, I, you know, it's funny. I, I say that only because I literally, I, I, I found in storage my Canelo Liam Smith sweater from <laughs> yeah. like five years ago. I'll let ago. you off, Chris. I'll let you off. Um, yeah, I mean... I think someone, Todd Grisham said to me, you know, how, how big has this week been for you in the zone? And it's like, there's so many problems at the moment. You just have to solve each day and each event as they go. So last week, it was all about just get AJ and Pulev in the ring and hopefully you get the win. Now, obviously, everybody has tested negative in San Antonio and in uh, Hollywood, Florida as well. So just got to get these events done and it closes out. A very tough year, but a year in spectacular fashion. Of course, here, Gennady Golovkin making his record-breaking 21st world middleweight title defence. And in San Antonio, probably the fight of the year, to be honest with you, between Canelo Alvarez and, and Callum Smith for the WBC, WBA and Ring Magazine Championship. So I think it's a it's a tribute to us and to DAZN. And you know, I have to be honest, like all, all promoters, you know, that everybody's rolled their sleeves up this year, tried to crack on. I think you've ended up having a great schedule. And it culminates in a fantastic finish to the year this weekend. So what problems have come up in the last week or so? You said, you know, it's all about kind of putting up problems. It's, the problems are really more about, you know, are you going to have any problems, if that makes sense? So, yeah. you know, from a COVID point of view, obviously it's like, you know, everyone rocks into town. These guys have had their previous tests, but anything could happen. They get tested at the hotel. You know, I'm sure you don't mind me saying, Chris, you know, you text me 48 hours ago or 24 hours ago and said, is there a problem with the Canelo fight? I've heard it's going to be rescheduled. And I'm like, no, is there? You know, because <laughs> boxing's quite a small world and there are a load of rubbish that goes around. But also there's a lot of things that sometimes you find out secondary. So when you messaged me that, I had to message then about 12 people going, there's no problems, is there? No, no. And, you know, that was when the COVID test had just been done. 
And obviously they all came back negative. So I was like, okay, that was just a rumor. Thank God for mm -hmm. that. So, but you're always up until, to be honest, up until now, now I, I guess you're never safe, but now we're safe. You know, we are two days away from triple G We're three days away from Canelo Alvarez. And we're nearly there. We're nearly there to a very special end to the year. A lot of rumors in boxing, so it's a good one thing. This one was oh, just yeah, a rumor please. when yeah. it came to Canelo Alvarez. Um, before I get to Golovkin and Canelo, Anthony Joshua knocks out Kubrat Pulev last weekend. Did Anthony Joshua look like you hoped he was going to look? Absolutely. I mean, I was actually baffled by still some negativity. I don't know what he has to do. You know, he went in there with his mandatory challenger, top five heavyweight in the world. You know, even if you want to be facetious, top 10 heavyweight in the world. He got hit twice. He he was absolutely ruthless in his finish. In the third round, it actually should have been over. He turned his back, Pulev. The ref should have stopped the fight. And then you didn't see the old AJ that would just swing away with his chin in the air. You saw a guy break someone down and then brutally knock him out in the ninth round. So I just, you know, when you look at his resume, you look at what he's done. I, I think he sometimes doesn't get anywhere near the credit that he deserves. He's still learning. I believe he's the best heavyweight in the world. And, you know, he came out of the ring and he saw a couple of the comments. Oh, is he stuck between styles? Is he? No, he's just learning what he needs to do to be unbeatable. You know, and that's, that's always a process that continues throughout your career, but he's just maturing. He's understanding what the sport is about. And I said to him, AJ, I said, you've just delivered one of the knockouts of the year, right? You are so exciting to watch. And I think you got hit twice in your world heavyweight title defense. So, you know, I think, um, I was over the moon with his performance, really was, showed maturity. And, and people said, do we think we'll see the old AJ? There isn't an old AJ or a new AJ. It's just AJ who fights specific ways now to beat specific fighters. And in my opinion, that was like the perfect way to fight Kubrat Pulev, and he destroyed him. No, I thought he was brilliant in that fight. And you're right, the third round, it probably should have been stopped. You're not allowed to turn your back like that the way Pulev did, and the referee would have been well within his jurisdiction to have stopped that fight, but he continued to box and he finished him uh, at the very end. I did find it interesting, Eddie, when the fight was over, it just seemed like AJ was annoyed at what he expected to hear coming. That would be the questions about Tyson Fury. I mean, he didn't really lean into him at all. I mean, how did you react to that? I just think he's so bored of talking about things that might happen. You know, we spent two years talking about uh, Deontay Wilder, right? You know, behind the scenes, we were doing everything we can. We were trying to negotiate deals. We were trying to have meetings. And I said to him, you know, I always believed, especially because of the money that was on the table, you know, especially with the, the final disown offer, that Deontay Wilder would take this fight. You know, he never believed me. He would say to me, yeah, I don't think this fight will happen. I'm saying, I'm, yeah, you know, we'll get it, we'll get it, we'll get it, we'll get it. And then he's just at a stage now where he's not interested in calling out names or shouting, you big dosser, or dressing up as Batman. That's not his style. <laughs> What's his style is, is sign the contract and I will fight you. So I don't think he wants the... I feel like last time he sort of gave everybody the hope because he talked about Wilder and stuff like that. And then it didn't materialise. He felt probably let down. You know, he felt that Wilder used his name to, to grow his own profile and then he ended up coming unstuck to Andy Ruiz because he was focusing on Deontay Wilder. So I know my job, you know, and the message from Anthony Joshua is make that fight. There's, there's only one fight we're talking about internally. 
It's not even, you know, th- there's no discussions. We know we'll fight Usyk if we can't fight Fury. But, you know, from our side, absolutely only one fight. And, and that's Tyson Fury. I just think AJ, he's not that person, you know, to start calling him out. So, you know, people might view that as, I saw, right, you know, Fury, oh, he wouldn't talk about me. They don't want to talk about you, mate. Until you sign a contract, then he'll talk about you. Then he'll knock you out. So that's that's his mindset. Yeah, and with the understanding that anything can happen in boxing, I mean, just talking to Bob Arum and people in top rank, they seem pretty optimistic that you're going to get there. Bob told me last week he had several conversations with you in the buildup to the the AJ fight. He, you know, Bob's been part of a million negotiations that have failed. He insists this one is not going to be one of them. Do you share that feeling that as far as you know, discussions between you and representatives of Fury, you can get there. I do. I really do. You know, I don't, I don't see anything getting in the way. There's a little bit on the, the TV side we have to just duck and dive with. There's, of course, the venue. You know, I think what will happen is you'll, you'll see us reach an agreement in the next couple of weeks and then we'll go out to market, if you like, to decide where this fight's going to take place. Um, but Bob, you know, Bob said that Pulev was going to beat Joshua Pillar to post and then... <laughs> AJ destroyed him and he said I wasn't very impressed with that so you never know with Bob do you but I I genuinely think you know and having the the conversations with Bob there isn't one person on either team that doesn't want to move forward with this fight yeah Bob saying that Pulev's going to win is like the equivalent of blowing your leg off to solve a cramp I mean it just (laughs) doesn't really represent his best interest last thing on AJ um, you know you've got to deal with this Usyk situation I I talked to Agus Klimas this week he said to me, look, we're focused on fighting Anthony Joshua, but he intimated that if there was a solid step-aside fee available to them, it's something they would strongly consider. How do you approach the Usyk situation? Okay, well, the first thing we're, not do- we're doing is we're not being held ransom by anybody. And we're not letting politics get in the way of, sp- of spoiling what is an essential fight for the future of boxing. Okay? So if we have to drop every single belt to make this fight, we will do it. And that actually might be quite a statement for the future. Of it Belts does, but Eddie, Eddie, that flies in the face of stuff AJ's been saying. I mean, I asked him yes, last week, because, he said... But Chris, that only happens if we lose one belt here, right? It becomes irrelevant. The, the undisputed tag, right? We will do everything we can and we are desperate for this fight to be for the undisputed heavyweight world championship. It's always been his dream. It's 100% our focus. But what we will not do is let people take advantage of the situation. I will not let my fighter pay millions of dollars in sanction fees, then have to pay another, someone else millions of dollars to step aside. Because it become, what's the point, right? We want it undisputed, but there becomes a value in the fight where you know you have to say, every fighter is taking less money right now you know, in this environment. But the sanctioning bodies, you know, I know they take a percentage of that purse, but there's no risk for these people, right? And we are very thankful to these governing bodies, and they all do a great job. But there comes a point where if people are greedy, they will lose everything for this fight. So we've got to be smart. We've got to work with common sense. We want the WBC, the WBA, the IBO, the IBF, the WBO, the Ring Magazine. We want them all on the line. And guess what? They're going to make an absolute fortune from this fight. Congratulations. But in one puff of smoke, they could be making zero from this fight. 
So let's act with common sense. Let's respect people's mandatory positions. I'm not saying let's just forget about Usyk. We want to make sure Usyk's happy. But the moment we get held to ransom by anyone, they're gone. And, and you know, like I said, you lose one, you may as well lose them all and make a statement to boxing to say we're not going to let politics get in the way of stopping this fight. So you're open. You're pressure. open to doing. You're open to doing a deal with Usyk at the right price, is what you're saying. You're not. Yeah, going but to... it's not. You know, I keep getting the question. You know, oh, how much are you going to pay Usyk? Or how? Well, at the end of the day, we'll have to pay Usyk anything. Yeah. We drop that belt. Okay, we can't call it undisputed. But are boxing fans really going to lose any sleep of that fight not happening if one belt's not on the line? No. But we no. want. The belt I, I think. The, the I line. think my it's question would be: Would it, would, would AJ lose any sleep over it? Yes, he would be disappointed. But 100%, once people start taking liberties and once people start holding you to ransom, he will have no hesitation. But his, you know, his instruction to me is, and we know, we've always wanted this. We've always wanted, that was it. That was the ultimate to be undisputed. But it doesn't come at any price. You know, any price in my world means sacrifice. And that's what AJ's done over the years. He's sacrificed himself to get in his position. Sacrifice is not financial, okay? So it's not by any means necessary we make it undisputed because there will come a time where we'll look at the, the money side and go, this is ridiculous. Mm. But hopefully, everyone can be smart. And by the way, if Fury doesn't fight AJ for any reason, we'll be fighting Usyk. So he's in a good mm. position because he, he either gets the, the AJ fight, he either gets a good deal, or he fights for the vacant belt. That's the three things that could happen for Alexander Usyk, but does he really want to fight fight for a vacant title for no money against Joe Joyce? No, he wants to fight the best, and I respect that. And we have to respect Usyk's position, and we will, and we'll try and make sure that we give him the right offer to to compensate him. But I hope people don't think they're going to be, you know, leaving the sport and going on holiday for the step aside money from this fight because we're not interested. All right, let's talk about Golovkin. Uh, he returns on Friday after a year plus layoff. Uh, as Golovkin's promoter, he's a heavy favorite going into this fight. What do you need to see from him? Is it important for him not just to win, but win like the Gennady Golovkin most people in the U.S. are used to seeing? Yeah, we want to see a big drama show, don't we? I mean, that's what you pay for when you buy a Gennady Golovkin ticket. That's what you pay for when you subscribe to zone to watch Gennady Golovkin. We want to see the old, ruthless Gennady Golovkin. Um, we've just finished the press conference here. I've got to say... I know Zeremetz a big underdog, very composed, you know, spoke very well, sees this as a massive opportunity. And I guess everybody hopes that Gennady Golovkin is not the fighter that he was two or three years ago. I'm not sure I agree with that, but this fight, I think, will tell us because on paper, he should go in there and destroy Zeremetz. If he struggles against Zeremetz, then that might tell us that perhaps this isn't a prime Gennady Golovkin. No disrespect to Zeremetz. He's the mandatory challenger. But he should be, if he's a true middleweight great still, he should be winning fights like this in explosive fashion. And I think that's his aim. You know, I think he wants to go out there and make a statement on Friday. Do you believe Golovkin has lost something? No, I think, you know, any fighter that sort of uh, gets older, you know, um, sometimes might not be at the peak. I mean, is he as dangerous as he was five years ago? Maybe not. But, you know, we're really basing this off one fight, which is Derevinchenko. You know, the Steve Rolls fight, I don't think you can really take too much from. You know, he, he took his time. He moved around. He knocked him out. 
But then the Darren I, I think though, Eddie, part. Eddie, I think though, it, it, for for most, it really began with Canelo Part Two because Canelo became the first fighter to take the fight to Golovkin, and when when that happened, it, it I think it really surprised people that somebody could stand there and trade with Gennady in that way. So it it started there, and you know I think but, but I don't know, think I don't think I don't think you've never been able to do that. I just don't think there's been any fighters that could do that. It right. took a pound for pound number one to do that, and we all know that fight, that second fight could have gone either way, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't see you can look at the Canelo fight and say, Oh, he's deteriorating. I mean, you know, he arguably won both fights. Who knows? You know, maybe people thought Canelo won both fights, but they could have gone either way. I think it was the Derevchenko fight, but again, people underestimate Derevchenko a little bit. I don't think it was Gennady's best performance. I think I do also think the, um, you know, the merge into Jonathan Banks will take time. I think this is a good good time to see if that is working. And like I said, if he goes in, looks destructive and deals with Zerometa in style, you could say, okay, well, Banks and, and G are now working great together. Let's move forward. There are so many great fights for him. So many great fights. I mean, obviously, the whole world wants to see Canelo 3. Um, Demetrius Andrade, your mate, you know, a unification is, is a fight that I'm hearing from Gennady's team. They would take that fight. Jamie Mungia, another great fight for DAZN. Um, Charlo, another great fight as well. I mean, he could move to 68. He could fight Saunders. You know, he could he could fight Jacobs again. He could fight... I mean, there's so many fights out there for him. He could fight Oscar De La Hoya. Um, he wants know, to fight Oscar De La Hoya. I'm sure he does. Yeah. Um <laughs> And see what you I started. Just, see what you started with these exhibitions, man, with these YouTubers and guys coming back. See what you did. I know. And I said, you know, this is where I talk about Triple G, Canelo or whatever, or Joshua Fury. If we don't start to make these fights, this will be the new norm. You know, the new norm will be Mike Tyson against Evander Holyfield next or Jake Paul against somebody else. So we have to make sure the best fight the best. We have to make Joshua Fury. Bob and Al have to make Spence v. Crawford because we know that these exhibitions, these crazy little projects do big numbers and we're in a numbers business. And it doesn't matter whether you're DAZN or Fox or ESPN, you want to do things that drive numbers. And we all love the sport too much to let those fun events, which I had an amazing time doing KSI against Logan Paul, and it was amazing to see, I don't want to be doing those week in, week out. But we'll be under more pressure to do those if we don't deliver fights that deliver on numbers. So, you know, and, and when you talk about, I mean, Triple G against Oscar De La Hoya, I, I just, I never even thought about it, really. And then when I heard Triple G's comments about the fight, you know, I started to think, blimey, you could actually make that fight. I mean, it would be absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. I don't love it. I would rather see him fight Canelo if he beats Callum Smith or fight Callum Smith if he beats Canelo. You know. But ultimately, we, are, we live in a world where we will be judged on the numbers that we deliver. So, you know, this isn't... Uh, Triple G, Golovkin's not happening, but uh, against Oscar's not happening. But you, you can see the attraction of fights like that to the casual fans. All right, let's talk about Canelo and Callum Smith. You've talked to people in Callum's camp. You've seen him... Um, how ready is Callum Smith for this fight? I mean, taking a fight on somewhat short notice, even though we know he was training prior to the announcement. You've heard guys like Billy Joe Saunders say, look, 
I'd pick Callum in this fight or I'd be think he could win, but it is a relatively short turnaround from when it was announced to when the fight's going to take place. How ready do you think Callum is? I think he's more ready than he'll ever be, Chris, to be honest with you. I mean, he was training for a December 19th fight. That was when we were going to run his date. So I get that he only had four weeks' notice for Canelo Alvarez. He always hoped that he would be fighting Canelo in December. Um, so it's not ideal, but I don't think it's ideal for Canelo Alvarez because he only knew four weeks out that he was going to fight Callum Smith. I mean, it's hard to get sparring uh, for Canelo Alvarez, but it's harder to get sparring for Canelo Alvarez for someone to replicate Callum Smith. You know, someone who's six foot four, someone who punches very, very well to the body, can punch hard to the head, has a fantastic jab, can box on the inside and outside. So I think this is a very dangerous fight for both. I have to take my, you know, I have to take my my hat off to both guys because they're willing to step up at this moment in this pandemic. I mean, they're both there this week. I've been watching the pictures from San Antonio. I'll fly there tonight for the press conference tomorrow. It's different. You know, we'll have 11,000 in there and it'll be great, but it's not the same. You know, normally it's MGM. You walk in, thousands of people, you know, in the ring there before and the weigh-in in the arena and 5,000 people. And so you need to be able to raise your game. But the great fighters raise their game in any environment. You know, you look at AJ last week. Oh, you know, and people people talking about his performance. He hadn't boxed for a year. You know, he's boxing in front of a thousand people, basically behind closed doors. Still delivered a show-stopping performance. So can Canelo do that in this new environment? Can Callum Smith do that? Will it suit Callum Smith more that there's not 70,000 Mexicans in the Alamo Dome? So, but this is it. This is his moment. You know, he's wanted this since he won the World Boxing Super Series and become number one. He wanted this moment to prove his greatness. Now it's up to him. He has the attributes to do it. He really does. And, um, but Canelo Alvarez is some fighter. I think it's going to be a brilliant fight. What did you think of the pictures from yeah. their opening day? There? Mad, isn't it? I mean, we saw it against Rocky Fielding. We know Callum's a different fighter to Rocky Fielding. We saw it a little bit with, with Kovalev, you know, and we see it every time. I was John Ryder's on this card on Friday, mm-hmm. and he said, that's, you know, I'm kind of the same size as, as Canelo. You know, I, I was the same next to it. it doesn't really matter and that's what John Ryder said but you do look at it and think wow you know you have to have an astonishing reach advantage and Canelo probably has to box this fight or he's thinking the same way he boxed Rocky Fielding which was a much bigger fighter which is get on the inside as soon as possible and make it count while you're inside to the head and body you know but again Callum's a different kind of opposition he punches much much harder he has fantastic variation and I'm excited. I really think he has a great shot here. I think this could be, I guess it is a huge upset, but I don't think it would feel that way to the team. I think it's a, it's a terrific fight and one Callum can win if he fights uh, a certain way in this fight. Let me finish with this. Um, if the favorites win this weekend, Golovkin and Canelo Friday and Saturday, on Monday morning, what's your first order of business? Well, I think the first order of business, you know, two hats on going into Saturday. One is my most important hat, which is my Callum Smith hat, which is a guy I've promoted since his professional debut. I'm incredibly proud of him, and I would love nothing more than to see him win on Saturday night. The other hat is the DAZN hat, which it was my job to try and pull a rabbit out of the hat and bring Canelo Alvarez back to DAZN after all the problems we've seen. I managed to deliver that. If Callum is not successful, my DAZN hat will tell me, keep him on the platform and make the biggest fight possible. 
that will be Billy Joe Saunders or that will be Triple G if he wins on Friday. Um, and But both of those fights I'm over the moon with. But can't ignore the fact that Canelo against Triple G, if both look great this weekend, is the biggest fight in boxing or up there with Joshua Fury, you know, and mm. Crawford Spence. So to land that fight in May and maybe Joshua Fury in June and hopefully, you know, Devin Haney against the winner of Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell in April and then Chocolatito against Estrada in March. All of a sudden, we're putting a breathtaking schedule together on the zone. So that's the plan. But hopefully, hopefully we, uh, we get a Callum Smith victory. Working with Canelo this past month, do you get the sense that this relationship between Matchroom and him is one that he wants to continue? Do you have any indications there? Uh, I mean, things have gone outstandingly well. You know, we've delivered all around the clock. We've delivered on the gate. We've delivered on the sponsorship. We've delivered on the opponent. We've del- you know, So at the moment, I would think he'd be very happy. And again, you know, I want Callum Smith to win this fight. If he doesn't, I would love to work with Canelo Alvarez long term. Um, and it's important for my broadcast partner, the zone, that we keep him on the platform. Him and Anthony Joshua are the two biggest stars in the sport right now. You know, and Gennady Golovkin's right up there as well. And they all fight on the zone. So I think, you know, after this fight, if he's won, I would expect him to turn around and say, I've really enjoyed working with Matrim and I'd like to do more. You never know, but let's see what happens on Saturday night. Yeah, big weekend. Friday, Gennady Golovkin. Saturday, Canelo Alvarez. Big couple of weeks for you, Eddie, and we, we'll touch on Luke Campbell and Ryan Garcia another sure. time, man. Appreciate your time, Eddie. Cheers, guys. See you later. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.